What a joy it is to have the privilege of bringing God's word to the 815 community this evening. This is so fun. For those of you who have only just joined the 815, you are so welcome. My name is Emily. I, along with the wonderful Tom Barber, who you met earlier, um, helped to lead this epic community. Um, but I will offer no longer. Let's jump in. My mum has a serious backbone. Um, you know those parents who will like make threats about consequences to their kids, but they never quite follow through with the full extent? Uh, that was not my mum, and I discovered this about her on my fourth birthday party. Savage upbringing. I'm kidding. She's wonderful. Um, <laughs> we arrived at present time. Uh, you know that bit in a birthday party where you get to unveil all of the gifts in front of your families and friends. And I was opening each one really slowly. I was that kid that opened presents annoyingly slowly. Um, being so super thankful for it. I had this like phrase when I was a kid. I used to open presents and go, oh boy, oh boy. I don't know where it came from, but it, it really stuck. Um, and I was going through each present, super excited about it. And then I got to my parents' present, and I opened that. And it was a super-duper microphone karaoke machine, multifunctional, with a whole bunch of sound effect buttons, came with a mic stand so you could give like, the full performance. Um, in hindsight, it's exactly what I would have bought for your old Emily, because she loved to sing and be the center of attention, uh, which is not that much different. It's 24-year-old Emily, but we'll move past that one. Um, but I didn't love it because it wasn't the baby Annabelle pram that I desperately was hoping that my parents would give me. Um, and I made that disappointment really obvious. I didn't shout, oh boy, oh boy. I simply just said thanks and tossed it to the side. Um, and so my mum took me into another room and proceeded to tell me how rude and unkind it was to so visibly not like a present that I'd been given. So much so that she then promised to take the present away and send it back to Argos, um, and I wouldn't get anything else in replacement of that. And I thought, surely, she will keep this up for a few days, and it will blow over, it'll be fine, she'll give me back the present, and it'll be great. Well, friends, I never saw that microphone again. <laughs> And I begged and I pleaded with her to give it back to me. And I promised I would love it and cherish it and adore it forever. But it was gone. That day, I had wanted something better than what I already had. I wanted more than what I already had. And then when it was threatened to be taken away from me, I, I clung to it so that I wasn't left with less than what I started with. And on that day, along with lacking gratitude for somebody's generosity that they'd shown me, my mom had rightfully taught me that greed is not something we should welcome into our hearts and encourage to stay. Um, and that quite simply is my first point for this evening. I've got three points. They all rhyme. So I, I hope that sticks in your head this week. Uh, simply, number one, greed is a sin. We very helpfully heard from Tom last week that greed and gluttony are not the same thing. And if you missed that, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to it. It was super uh, challenging, incredibly helpful. Um, all of our talks can be found on your normal podcasts app and SoundCloud and whatever. Um, but Tom identified for us that where gluttony is about consumption, greed is about accumulation. And I think there's, there's two avenues to this. There's a greed that wants more, and there's a greed that wants to hoard. There's a greed that wants more, and there's a greed that wants to hoard. 
And we can see in this passage from James, that was so beautifully read to us by Julia, thank you, um, that we're told that at the center of most quarrels is our desire to have what we don't have or to have what other people have. And also that when we're greedy and we're given luxuries, we're most likely to keep these for ourselves and use them for our own pleasure. Greed grows a craving inside of us to gain more and to keep more and more and more and more. And this passage also shows us how there is no fruitful or positive outcome to greed. In the, to the people in James's time, greed was leading them to fight and to argue and even to kill. And I'd love to say that it's a different story for life today, but I think we all know that it's not. If anything, I think we're greedier than ever. Instant gratification is at our fingertips. In the West, every advert we're bombarded with is telling us that we need more. And then when we have that, it's not enough. And so that we need even more. Why buy a single burger when you can buy a Big Mac? Why stick with your iPhone 7 when you could have the iPhone 12? Why do that job that you would really enjoy when you could do something you won't enjoy for 10 grand more? Quite potentially, in the West at the moment, our biggest source of greediness is the need to be productive. Stick with me here. We struggle to sit still and do nothing, to have empty moments in the day where um, they aren't used for anything other than just being and resting. At the root of this is greed. We feel like we have to make every moment in the day count so that we can have more. We need to work more hours in the day so that we can get noticed and get that promotion. Or we need to pick up an extra job so that we can have even more money. Or we need to socialize more so that we can have even more friends. Or we need to take more pictures so that we can get more followers on Instagram and so on and so on. There's probably way more greed flowing through our lives than any of us truly have a handle over. And I do just want to caveat that and address the fact that I'm not speaking, well, any kind of condemnation, but I'm not speaking condemnation over anybody with a busy life. Sometimes we need to work two jobs because we've got bills to pay. Or sometimes we need to socialize because we've just moved somewhere new and we need some friends. Please hear me when I say wanting to be productive and proactive are not wrong. We need to check what's fueling our desire to do so. And that also leads me on to say that enjoying physical, tangible, and material things is also not wrong. Far from it, actually. In fact, it's, it's God-given. In the creation story, in the book of Genesis, we are told that God created all that he created, and it was good. And we're told in 1 Chronicles 16 that every good and perfect gift comes from above. So what I'm not saying is, tonight we should go away, we should go home and start chucking away every material thing we have, um, stop enjoying good food, stop enjoying a good TV show, stop enjoying wearing your favorite jumper or going to the pub with your mates. Matter does matter. It just can't matter too much. Because as, as often is the case when we attempt to follow the teachings of Jesus and live the life he's called us to live. Good, uh, there are many things that are good and enjoyable in moderation. 
And it's when we have unboundary desires for more of these things that we become greedy. It's when we want these things more than we want God that greed enters our hearts. And it's important to say that the Bible's not just talking about materialism either. Hedonism and our desire for pleasure is also another massive breeding ground for sin. But above all of this, the part of sin, uh, the part of greed, sorry, that I think particularly makes it a sin is the devastation it causes to God's creation and his people. Greed steals from society. Graham Tomlin says, greed wants more for the sake of more, even if that means somebody else goes hungry. If our desire for things and experiences get out of control to the extent that we, we turn a blind eye to the destructive, destructive effect that's having on other people and places, then we know we've become greedy. Let's get real for a moment. What issue do we think is really at the core of poverty? Man, humanity wants more money and more things, so much so that they're happy to take from other people and leave them high and dry. Or what's at the bottom of environmental issues? Man wants more fuel and material and spaces and houses and cars and Amazon parcels so that we produce too many damaging emissions and increase our carbon footprints as deforestation and polluted oceans and uh, extinction of species. And what's the cause of human trafficking and slavery? Man wants more clothes or household items or even more porn to watch, so then other humans have taken it upon themselves to produce this as cheaply and unethically as possible. And if that's not heartbreaking enough, the very worst part about harboring greed in our hearts is that it will never be satisfied. We'll just keep wanting and buying and longing. And even when we get that, we'll just want more or newer or better. In the words of that great Oxford scholar, Bob Marley, money is numbers and numbers never end. And so if it takes money to be happy, your search for happiness will never end. And so if more money and more stuff and more experiences is not what God has for us, then what is? Greed is a sin. Number two, give up everything. Stick with me here, don't walk out at this point. (laughs) The other passage that was read to us earlier was from the Gospel of Luke, and it finished with this. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Wow. Okay. Every time I read that, I think cheap as Jesus, that's like a really big ask. And then I also end up thinking, I hope, I hope the day never comes when God asks me to do that. I always think of it as one of those like rare holy calls that God gives people, like going to dangerous places to do mission or like committing to a lifetime of singleness and that it will like be clear and spoken from the heavens. Emily, you now need to sell everything you own and go to this place and do this thing for me. And I've had it so wrong. You see, Jesus has already asked me to give up everything I have. And I've actually already said yes to doing it. You see, guys, the call to give up everything isn't something that might be asked of us one day. It's something that has already been asked of us. And that has, has already happened if you have said yes to following Jesus. 
Because when we say yes to following Jesus and yes to following his teachings, then we're saying yes to coming under God's authority. And we're saying yes to working for the good of God's kingdom and no longer for our own glory. And in God's kingdom, God owns everything. Everything we have is a gift. Therefore, everything we have is owned and not loaned. Everything we have is owned and not loaned, is loaned and not owned. If we're functioning and thinking in accordance to kingdom logic and wisdom, then we have to get on board with the fact that everything, and I mean everything, everything that's good anyway, everything we have belongs to God and is simply on loan to us. It may be ours to have now, but maybe not forever. There could and will most likely be a time when we need to pass that on. I am currently on the journey of preparing for marriage, which is crazy, but pretty awesome. Um, And as part of the prep course that Paddy and I, who's my fiance, completed, there was like this exercise where we had to reflect on the vows that we're gonna make to each other on our wedding day. Um, And I just got really stuck on one of these vows. And it says, I take you to have and to hold from this day forward. And I thought, gosh, what does that even mean to like have and hold him? What does that even look like? And God answered my thoughts with such a clear vision. I saw us on our wedding day at the end of the aisle and I was making this vow to Paddy. And it was as though God was stood next to him, looking at me saying, Emily, here is my son. Here is my precious treasure. I'm entrusting him to you to look after him for me. And I don't mean this in like a gender stereotypical role kind of way, guys. I mean it in the sense that he will be on loan to me from God to enjoy and to treasure and to look after and to care for with the very best of my ability for the rest of this earthly life. And that is how we are called to treat every good thing that God gives us because they're all gifts. Even if it's all that we have, it's still not ours to keep if God asks us to give it away. And this is why I think in that passage, not only does it say give up everything, but it adds that if you don't, then you can't be Jesus' disciple. If we truly live with the mindset that, um, with the mindset and the heart posture that everything we have is on loan to us, then we should be prepared to pass that on at any point because we can't hold on to things that God is intending to use to bless someone else. We can't be hoarders if we want to see earth look more like heaven. Over 2,000 years ago, there was a little boy. Uh, It was most likely a hot day, I'm assuming. Um, I've used my imagination for this one. And he was one among many in a large crowd. As the day was nearing that time where people were getting hungry and they needed to eat some food, some older men approached the boy and asked him what food he had in his possession. All the boy had was five loaves and two fish. And the men explained that they needed to feed everyone in the crowd and asked if they could take that food away from him. And knowing that giving away what he had would probably mean he'd receive less of it back to eat, he gave away his five loaves and two fish. And he didn't hoard them, and he gave them to God, and God used his small offering to perform actually the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. 
Out of five loaves and two fish, Jesus went on to feed 5,000 people and he fed them in abundance. If we're prepared to give up everything as Jesus asks, it could have the potential to go on and do so much more than we could ever imagine. And so if greed is a sin and we are called to give up everything, then that leaves us with the last point. Generosity for the win. The best way we can combat greed is to practice generosity. In Acts chapter 20, we're told it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I know for many of us, if not all of us, we know that's true. Um, How much more enjoyable and life-bringing is it to give a good, well-thought-out gift to someone? Or how freeing is it to give away that thing that we've been holding onto for ages, but we don't really wear anymore, we don't really use anymore? There is a liberation that comes with liberality because it helps us to actively walk away from being suffocated by greed and walk towards a lifestyle where we treat everything as a gift. The more we practice generosity, the less attached we feel towards our belongings because we come to see that they are in fact just belongings and that eventually we'll be separated from them in the new earth anyway. And since I've called it practicing generosity, I'm just gonna come near the end with a few practical things we can put into place in our lives that will help us to grow heart postures of generosity. Um, And the first of these disciplines is called tithing. Ellie touched on this a little bit earlier, um, but this is is a a practice where we we give regularly, essentially. Um, It is the practice of giving a percentage of our income to the church that we are a part of, Many Christians choose to give 10% because there's some biblical ground into this in the Old Testament, but there's also many Christians who choose to give way, way more. And I would just, I'd just like to say, if in your thinking about um, giving this evening, you'd like to consider tithing, you'd like to consider giving those regular donations, I'd recommend you to pray and ask for God's wisdom on what percentage you should give, whilst keeping in mind that any sort of giving is meant to be costly. It's easy to give a comfortable amount because then no trust is required for God to provide the rest of what you need in life. But when you give more than is comfortable, it's a great way of demonstrating that we are willing to give God everything and trust that he will provide for our every need. So there's tithing and there's another practice called Sabbath. You may have heard of that before. Quite commonly, Sabbath is viewed as a day of rest. It is a day of rest. Um, but people often think of it as a day we don't do any work, we just kind of chill out, we catch up on all our tiredness, it's great. Um, But in reality, Sabbath is so much more than that. Sabbath is actually what our week is meant to build up to and not run down towards. It's a day of resting in God's goodness and a day to stop and enjoy his creation and the life that he's given us. Many people practice Sabbath by having lovely meals with friends or they get out into nature or they take naps and they worship and they pray and they take time to be present with their families. It's a day to take a break from wanting and desiring and instead focus on thankfulness and gratitude for all that we already have and all that we've already been gifted to us from God. Sabbath is a great practice in turning our attention away from wanting more and finding contentment in God rather than our belongings. 
And just quickly with that said, these purposes of these practices are not just the practices in themselves, in this context, it's not just becoming less greedy and becoming more generous. The end goal of any kind of practice or spiritual discipline is to make us more like Jesus. It's to put practices in our lives that draw us closer to God and help us to live the kind of lives he's called us to. God loves our attempt. He knows we're not perfect. God loves our attempt. And he will always help us to grow in these things. He will never leave us to do it on our own. Because if after all of this, you're still not sure why we should be generous, then as always, we look to God and find the example he has set for us. And I'll come into land with this. Generosity is a form of love. And God is our generous lover. He is a God who just gives and gives and gives to his children, so much so that he made the most radical act of generosity that anyone has ever seen or anyone ever will see. He loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to come into this broken and messy world to be born a fragile, dependent infant who then grew into a humble and generous man who was then ridiculed and defamed by his own people to the degree that they begged their greatest rivals to then hang their fellow Jew on a cross. They stripped him naked, they beat him, they made him bleed, they spat on him, they laughed at him, and they cheered when he died. And God made this beautifully tragic act of sacrificial generosity so that when Jesus rose again from the grave, we could be forgiven, so that we could be made clean, and so that we could live eternally in God's glorious presence. If your heavenly Father is willing to be that generous for you, then what do you really have to lose in letting go of greed and giving generosity a try?